0: It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me, They can see it in my eyes.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast. I am your host, John. This week's guest is bringing down Broadway... Uh, As in most of the band, this is the first time I have had almost a full band on. They were without their singer. Uh, But Bringing Down Broadway is a band out of the Michigan area. Lapeer, kind of to be more specific. Uh, They were hot on our Christian metalcore scene back in the early 2000s and into the mid-2000s. And then ended up breaking up. And while I remember the breakup being a rather big deal, I don't really remember why. And we get into that in this episode... But it's kind of interesting to be able to go back with some of these bands, whether they're local or not, and kind of talk about the beginning of a scene or a sound, as it were, in this situation. Uh, Living here in the Midwest, it's kind of interesting to think back about a time before the internet was what it became and think about how some bands were kind of on the cusp of what would become metalcore and in the early 2000s, that is, and to know that some of the bands around here even put their own stamp on on the sound with bands like Still Remains who kind of incorporated some of the European influences that were coming through... As well as you know, bands like Haste the Day, and you know, you still had your Zayos and your Azalea Dings coming from the East and the West Coast, respectively, and just kind of everything you know in between, whether it be Under Oath down in the Florida area, or even a band like Norma Jean coming out of the sort of the South uh, in Atlanta. And it's just kind of interesting to think of a lot of these bands and kind of them before they became the household names that they became in the in the industry and then in the scene specifically. So it's always fun to talk to a band like Bringing Down Broadway and just kind of get a different perspective uh, than my own as to what it was like to be in a band at that time when that scene was becoming, gaining its mainstream success, or even before it, really. As well as talking to a band that started achieving a modicum of success... Back in a day when the industry was more thriving as far as you know record sales and so on and so forth but also talking to bands before the internet became what it has become and the industry has become how it is now and kind of just the struggles of you know having to put together a demo and how long it takes to to put out music and you know now when the bands come back like bringing down Broadway is looking at Facebook and Instagram and all these kind of things where bands focus more on social media presence than being a band and and putting quality content out. Uh, I know it's something I kind of beat to death in the episode I just put out with Brandon Halcroft of Lake Effect. Uh, Speaking to that episode, if you noticed it doesn't have an intro and an outro and all that kind of stuff, uh, that is due to the fact that I had my laptop take a shit on me about two weeks ago when I was getting ready to put out a completely different episode, which was my chat with Fallon Bowman doing Diamond Eyes, finally. And I noticed that the two episodes I recorded that week, uh, the one with Alan and the one with a friend uh, who's putting out a documentary, both had noise issues and stuff like that once I took the files and had everything saved on my external hard drive. But once I got my computer back after I got it fixed, uh, those two episodes were pretty much unusable. So I had to use the episode I did with Brandon. And when I last checked that file, it had an intro, it, it, it was done, it was a done episode I had been sitting on for a little while, and to, when I heard it back, and the intro is gone, the outro's gone, everything's gone, uh, I was kind of surprised, because when I listened to like I said, listened to it last, everything was there, and it was still good to go, uh, and that was literally right before I uploaded it, so I have no idea why that happened. Uh, I'm probably over the next few days going to go back through, put an intro on that, put the outro song, uh, for misguided youth that they just put out. Uh, so if you go over to, uh, Lake effects socials, you can go see their new video. They just put out for misguided youth off of their upcoming EP, uh, that they did with Greg Thomas, who was a guest on this epis or on this podcast. So go back and check out those episodes with those people. Uh, but back to this, uh, this thing, um, So yeah, so I got my laptop back, and what sucked is I got new microphones and a new interface to kind of make everything sound a little bit better. Hopefully it sounds better. Um, And this is also the first interview I've done with my new setup. Um, So if it sounds a little different, it's because everything I'm used to using, I'm using completely new stuff. Uh, I'm learning how everything works what EQs to use, all this kind of stuff, even the software I use for GarageBand apparently got a major facelift from whatever I was using, uh, and now there's just all kinds of buttons and all this kind of stuff, so there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with all of that, so bear with me uh, as I make new concessions to, to make this podcast be better over this next year and beyond. Uh, speaking of making things better, um, I don't know that this makes it better for anybody else, but... Uh, over the last week or so, I actually the last few days. I, I'm sorry, the last few days, I have kind of struck a sort of partnership deal with a local music online site here in Michigan, uh, specifically more to Grand Rapids, uh, called Moshpit Nation. Moshpit Nation is a website dedicated to basically rock and heavy metal and getting concerts and band interviews and so forth, uh, mostly on the local level, out to the Michigan uh demographic whether it be far reaching to like detroit kalamazoo grand rapids where i live lansing muskegon so on and so forth Uh, basically they just try to give a platform to the smaller bands and allow people to find them and know what's going on for those of us who like supporting our local rock and metal scene uh that being said the partnership actually started a long time ago when I tried to get a writing gig for a company that no longer exists, and I was told that I didn't have enough, uh, I didn't have enough history doing anything on that kind of a level, which is totally true. Uh, I ended up posting something about it, and Jen, who runs and founded P- Moshpit Nation reached out to me and said, like, hey, you know, we really, you know, always looking for new writers. If you're interested in covering a show, covering an album, so on and so forth, uh, you know, let me know and I'll let you do something. So I did a couple of interviews uh, with Still Remains, a couple other bands, uh, Heartsick, who have been on this podcast as well. Uh, actually, both bands, really, and did some interviews, did some features, did some show reviews did an album review that I don't know if it ever got used just because unanimously we didn't like the band nor the album that they put out, so I don't know that it ever saw the light of day. But being that as it may, Jen has always supported me in any of the creative endeavors that I've wanted to go into. Uh, she has supported me in some of the booking shows that I've done when I have metal bands and so forth. Uh, to suffice it to say that she has always supported me in any of my extracurricular activities that I've wanted to do that are in music. And this is no different. She is supporting me in this. Uh, There's a handful of occasions where there's a guest I want to go after, and I know I need a a certain pull behind my numbers and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times uh, I make the comment that I wish I had, you know, more Facebook likes and all that kind of stuff, as as you've heard me say. And sometimes she allows me to use the Mosh Pit Nation name to, to get some interviews. And, you know, a lot of it's just really great to to be able to to kind of do something with Jen and with Moshpit Nation officially, and so as of now, and hopefully by the time this episode goes up, you'll see the Moshpit Nation logo on my uh, podcast picture because I want to give them a little bit of a spotlight too for for helping me in this as we go forward from here on out. But Moshpit Nation basically is now officially the avenue that you will find this. You can find it on their website, moshpitnation.com. There is a Facebook page. I don't know the exact link to it. I I will look it up and know it in the outro. But from here on out, very exciting. Moshpit Nation is on board with Johnson Title Podcast. So you can say Johnson Title Podcast is a is brought to you by Moshpit Nation. And you're going to hear me start saying that. And now in the outros you're going to have me link you to those things. Uh, Where they are, and it would be really great if you if you live in Michigan or not, because we are now branching out and doing a lot of cool shit. We are, I say we, I guess I can say we now. Uh, We have writers in Australia, in California. We have great people doing album reviews, not only of bands here in Michigan but all over, covering everything from death metal to tech metal to local metal to hard rock. You know, we even go and try to support as many of our local venues promoters festivals pretty much anything we can do to to raise awareness of anything rock and hard hard rock and metal that is what mosh nation basically is going to stand for here in michigan so hopefully you will go over there and follow them but for right now i just want to i'm very excited to announce that i have partnered with somebody that i couldn't be happier with being tied to we work really well together And I think Jen and the rest of the Mosh Pit crew are very awesome. And maybe I will have them come on sporadically uh, to do mini-episodes or something and just kind of talk about what's going on in the music metal scene, some great releases maybe that you all need to be aware of, and so forth. And uh, maybe you'll see some of these bands as well come on here. Uh, Like I said, I think it's going to be a great marriage of just a lot of awesome people wanting to raise awareness of awesome music and, and all that. So I'm really excited, if you couldn't tell and uh, I'm gonna quit yapping because it's been about 10 minutes but that's kind of a lot of what's been going on in my life it's it's been a whirlwind between the holidays my laptop going and taking a shit on me losing some episodes putting on an episode that was missing stuff Uh, so hopefully from here on out smooth sailing and onward and upward so without further ado this is my chat with bringing down broadway talk to you in the outro So, I have Bringing Down Broadway with me, recently reborn, Bringing Down Broadway. Uh, I know there's a couple of new members. I'm looking at two of them right now. Uh, I believe Alex is off to the right of the screen with the glasses, for those who will yes, eventually see me. this. Uh, and then the other one is Brian Wilson, sitting in the back. <laughs> and then the other two, go ahead and say who you guys are as well.
2: Hello, I'm Christopher Herr. Okay. I'm Peter
3: Kalinowski.
1: And we are missing? Brian
4: Grecki,
3: our lead singer. Couldn't make it
1: today. All right. He's got school. Uh, that old thing. Yeah, You could say he's got class. Yeah. Bad joke, I know. <laughs> that, guy, that guy has class. <laughs>
3: That's one of your jokes. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: dad um, joke. Dad jokes, I'm sorry. I've been in uh, dad joke mode the last couple of months. Um, yeah, we love those as well. <laughs> well, I mean, I think collectively everyone that's involved in this uh, old hardcore metalcore scene from about ten years ago collectively has started calling themselves dad metal now. So, I think uh, yeah. I think it all fits. Um, you know, what's funny is uh,
3: I just went this last weekend and saw three bands that got me like into music initially. One of them called Johnny Respect, and then another punk band called. Um, Crockpot oatmeal, and then a the metal band I used to <laughs> love called Anna Avea. Oh, yes. and um, Wait. They did a reunion show this last Saturday at a place called the Lansing Underground, which was a venue we used to play up yep. until 2003. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. They all played, and like there's like dozens of kids there. Everyone had gray hair. Everyone had beards. Everyone <laughs> had beer guts, except for me, of course. And uh, it was just funny looking around like, yeah, do I know you? Yeah, I remember, yeah, like 20 years ago we talked. Yeah, you know, like... There was no one that looked young. There was like a few like seventeen year old kids were like, "Yep, yeah, this is an ear scene. Uh, you must be here with your parents and stuff." It was crazy. Was
1: uh, was Bone drumming for Anna or? Yep. Okay. All
3: original members. They okay. All were there.
1: I was gonna say I just was uh, I just ran into Bone like a week ago at Rush's birthday, and uh-huh. he didn't mention anything about it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, last time we saw them uh, was when they played with a uh, Bestiary uh, at Max Bar. Gosh, probably about seven or eight years ago Uh something like that (laughs) very much the same thing old crowd no one really wanted to move around and you could tell everyone had to work tomorrow (laughs) yeah um that was
4: not the case at the Zayo show we went to there was a bunch of gray-haired guys just
1: crashing just stage dives and
4: everything i think you're a dad
1: i think there are some bands that just pull people out of mosh retirement though yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so let's kind of go back down memory lane a little bit, and let's kind of talk about how Bringing Down Broadway kind of came to be. Sure. So
3: we started in like 1998, 1999, me and Brian Gorecki, who's not here, and then a guy named Justin Sayers, who was the original drummer. And we kind of started because there was uh, two punk bands that we liked and a metal band in the area, and the punk bands were Exit 180, Johnny Respect, and then Brian Wilson played in a metal band called Least of These. He used to play with all of the guys from pre Still Remains when they were in a band called Shades of Amber. Yep. So um, that's kind of what pulled me into it. So I'll, I'll let him talk about that scene.
4: Yeah, that was. Uh... Oh, we're getting some guests here. Um, that was. Uh... <laughs> so that was a dead metal thing. Um... <laughs> so that scene for us, I mean, that was uh, the, the birth of that whole scene locally here was it was really spread out so we were we had a couple of punk bands that were starting in the Lapeer area but then when those shows here started getting up and rolling then we were really joining guys from the Grand Rapids and Lansing scene that you know that had already kicked off so we started playing with bands mm-hmm. like Ana and Bringing Down Broadway um, came out sort of as you know we had sort of uh, paved the way maybe a little bit for that and so they started opening for us, which was interesting because then later on we would really be the ones opening for them and then it <laughs> would fizzle out and they would they would take over. The our scene here really was dominated by bringing down Broadway in the um, in the early two thousands, which is after my band had kind of uh, you know, started into the into that phase where the phase in between <clears throat> your initial music scene and dad metal. Right. The part where you're trying to figure out how in the world you're going to pay bills and get married and start having kids and uh, and still do music. So um, all those transitions happen. But uh, but, yeah, so bringing down Broadway kind of came up as uh, as Gage at the time under a different name. Um, as we were starting to die off, I guess. So different generations of bands paved the way to, to get that
1: started. In thinking about a lot of bands, the sound that became metalcore around the early 2000s, when you guys would have been kind of finding your own sound as it, as it were, I always think it's kind of interesting living here in the Midwest that it's you're kind of picking up pieces and influences from stuff you may be hearing that people are bringing from the East coast and stuff from the West coast. And given that the internet isn't what it is today or cell phones aren't what they are today, where you can literally, someone be like, check out this band. You're like, give me a second. Like it's interesting that we in the Midwest were able <laughs> to kind of be almost at the foreground of this metalcore sound that kind of took off, you know, with still remains with, you know, the Ana is like, you know, back then, I remember being blown away by our local scene and being like, there's something happening in our local scene and in Michigan Metal as a whole that I feel like isn't happening anywhere else yet. And then it wasn't until like a Haste the Day pops up where you're like, OK, they're kind of doing something we're, we're doing here, but they're putting their little touch on it. And it was interesting just to kind of see so many bands here locally making it and kind of putting, like I said, their own stamp on it. So what was it? Or what band was it that kind of were the main influences for all of you? And what were you trying to take out of those and kind of meld with what you were doing? And, and how did you know when you had the, the sound that you were looking for? So
3: the the biggest bands in order to, uh, you know, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't MP3s. There was CDs. And for us, like we got them at Cornerstone Christian Festival, like the biggest hub of that music we'd go to every year. And it was Zale and Live and Sacrifice. Those were, like, the two titans, and right behind them was the Ludacris, which later became Norma Jean, yep. and Azaleigh Dying, and um, and that was, like, kind of the order. It was, like, living Sacrifice, Zeo, dominated. The Ludacris came kind of because of them. Like, Spitfire was kind of in there and stuff, too, but, like, those two were the biggest ones. Ludacris became Norma Jean, and, like, when that album dropped, the Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child album, that was, like, groundbreaking. And then Lay Dying, when they came out with... Uh, <coughs> for Awards Collapse. Piece, Flywords collapse when that came out. When the song 94 hours came out, that like changed everything. That's that was like the sound that everyone's like, that's that's what we're going for. We always were huge Zao fans. That's still my favorite band to this day. So I always feel that I was really like influenced by like Scott and Russ, and I still kind of tried to have like a Zaoesque groove to everything that I do, but
4: we always yeah, have to ask ourselves, does this sound too much like Zao? Is this a complete <laughs> rip? No, I, I don't actually ask myself that. <laughs> no, I ask myself very much. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I find that I, I, know, I play more like, uh, like I guess, like August Burns Red and like Nodes of Rain VA than Zayo, but I always loved those bands, and that's like, those are who I always looked up to. Um, that's like, a, that's on the big level. Mm-hmm. I also got most of my influence from like the local level. Seeing Least of These play, seeing uh, like Ana Avea play, and Shades of Amber play. Those were like the local heroes that I looked up to, I always wanted to be like, because I could see them more throughout the year, and I uh, just loved their sounds overall, you know? I just saw Bay and it's been like 15 years since I've seen them, and I still just love all of their songs. I <laughs> they were just crushing, thought they were awesome.
1: It's funny how that goes, where sometimes you throw on something that's old, or, you know, like a lot of kids, as I say, and I'm like, you're like 12, 15 years younger than me in some instances, but where you know they're after the most heaviest thing sometimes and i'm like man i'm still listening to you know i still play free awards collapse or shadows of security or you know like you said some old norma Jean or like the same old stuff i've been listening to for almost 20 years in some instances and it's just like there's just something about this like this band got it it's not heavy for the sake of being heavy like there's substance there's there's something here and i don't know how much of it is just wrapped in nostalgia Uh, because there's definitely some records you listen to that are from that time period, and you're like, oh boy, what was I thinking? (laughs)
3: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Um, You had kind of, you know, talking about being in the Christian metal scene and metalcore as a whole kind of becoming two words that sort of became their own scene very early on, whether it be locally, locally or on the national level. When trying to think back to it, I look back now the way i don't know if you guys are familiar with the bad christian podcast and the guys in emory yep okay so something that yeah. something that they've been talking about and it's really kind of made me think about things in my brief time playing in bands and some of the the judgments that kid like straight edge kids would pass on me as as just a performing person like you know i didn't want to pay for a, a 9 dollar beer so i had a beer in our van and people were like Oh, you should be straight edge, blah, 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 blah. Like you're, you know, ruining your body or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you're 12. You're supposed to be straight edge. Like that's, <laughs> who are you to tell me how I should be living my life? But in listening with Matt and Toby and, and Joey on the Bad Christian Podcast and talking about when Emery was going out early on and, you know, like they they themselves haven't changed who they are. You know, they, they curse, they drink, they, you know, they are these things that people don't readily identify as Christian values. And I, I have kind of often wondered how hard it was to maybe be in a Christian band and in a Christian scene that maybe put unnecessary stresses on you of who you are supposed to be and what they think you – who you should be and how you should uphold your your beliefs and how you partake in that, if that makes any sense. So I've kind of wondered yeah. on a local level if you guys ever dealt with that or even doing like the big Cornerstone festivals and such –
3: um, so with that I got a couple stories one I remember
1: <laughs> I went and saw Zayo
3: at the shelter in Detroit which the shelter was like a metal venue you see like, like the movie like eight mile and stuff like that was like Wednesday nights they did like rap for the most part it was always like rock metal punk and stuff like that yeah and um I was like 14 went and saw Zayo there and I saw Scott in the alley smoking and I remember being a young Christian and back then like everything's black and white to you and I was like crushed by it for years I was like I thought they were Christians, like that's like my hero. <laughs> and then as I grew up, I realized, like, well, I mean, he could be a Christian and still smoke, you know. Like that's that's not going to that's not going to change your salvation. But what I did from that point is I realized, like, I realized how big of an influence and a inspiration you can be to people. So I've always made it my mission to never do anything like that. Just for one, I want to please the Lord, and two, I just want to be. I don't want to. I don't want the kids to think I'm like Superman, but I want them to look at me and be like, oh, he you know, he tries to be like the best man he can be at all times. So I always just, I never partook in anything like that for one. And then as I get older, and I have to explain this to younger people. I say, look guys, everyone you see, I you meet them. Imagine you, you see a meter that goes from zero to a hundred percent. You'll never find anyone on the entire planet where they are a hundred percent of everything you like and zero of things you don't like. You're going to see them. And there's some people that are going to be like seventies and eighties and such. But the thing is, is that one thing is not going to define who they are. So I say Rather than, like, see something bad like that and, like, be turned off by it, you should look at people and think, like, I'm going to like them for who they are and look at the good things in them rather than the bad things. And treating people like this, I ended up with a whole bunch of straight-edge friends and a whole bunch of non-Christian friends. And I have a whole bunch of really close atheist friends uh, that I still hang out to all the way to this day that say they just respect me and us for the way that we are because we love them for who they are, not for what they do or what they don't do. You know what I'm saying? So... It's just kind of the philosophy that we've taken and we try to, you know, uh, share with everyone when we
4: have these conversations on that. Right. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's easy. It was easy as kids to like define people by those kinds of parameters, you know? Um, and that's one of the things that like growing up, you know, you just figure out over time, if you pay attention that people aren't really, and and can't really be like defined by what they abstain from. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as we just, as just, as just one little, little category, you know, like when you first ask the question, the first thing that I think of is like, uh, um, and this applies to like, I think life, at, life in general, but life, at, <laughs> life as a, a Christian musician, if you will, but life as a Christian, at, all the way across. Okay. is from the movie, um, Fury, uh, where Brad Pitt says, uh, his character says, uh, Says to the young guy who's like struggling with like understanding war, right? He says, like, he says, um, uh, ideals are peaceful, ideals are peaceful, uh, history is violent, right? So, like, it, we have this picture of like the way we want things to be or the way things you know, things to be easily defined, and that's just the world is way messier than that, right? It's it, it isn't, it is not, it, people are not that easily defined, so I think we, you know, we, I, I, I think. Chris and, and me too like growing up in the Christian music scene was was a journey of starting in a place that was where you thought things were easily defined because your world was small and then as you grow up and you meet more people and you understand more things if you're willing to to grow as your world grows then you realize things are not so simple they're not so black and white um, and people aren't just people aren't just what they don't do and what they do it's uh there's a a lot more there's a lot more nuance to to people's stories than that so
1: yeah it's it's just kind of interesting like i said to think back and something i wouldn't have thought about at all to me it was just as simple as i like your band i like the music i i think the things that someone is expressing lyrically or whatever comes across in a very positive way like there's really no way i can hate on that either so i never really thought about it until like i said the the bad christian guys kind of put shed light on their views on you know oh i remember when i saw so and so from you know this band and i was like oh he's smoking or he swore he drank a beer and and things like that and then as i kind of think of you know how i looked up to some of the bands locally you know being like wow you guys are so good you guys can make it or or you are making it that I, I kind of have often wondered how many people within that that scene kind of dealt with that and kind of had to be put on these pedestals that they didn't ask to be put on, but due to wanting to play gigs, maybe get the church gigs where it's like, okay, this is you know a, a safe metal band because they're a Christian metal band. If it made it harder to maybe be more of who you actually were under the circumstances. I
4: don't know. I think for us it was like, we were trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out what it meant to be Christian at the same time as what it meant to be an influence to other people. So, I mean, we were, we came from different, at least Chris and I in that, in that scene at the time, we came from pretty different backgrounds, um, but we were both young people, you know, young Christians that uh, were trying to figure that out. So it didn't really, at least for my, for the different bands I played in, and I think for the early days of bringing down Broadway, it, it didn't hamper us because we were those safe bands because yeah. we were the, we were guys that, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to figure it out from maybe the other side that some people came from, because we never smoked or drank or swore either. So we were, we were the clean, you know, we were the safe, <laughs> we were the safe kids. Um, and then, but at the same time, we hung out with all the, all the kids who maybe weren't. Excuse
1: me. What, uh, Something i like to kind of bring up with some of the bands that grew up around here uh, as far as becoming a band and coming into their own is I kind of like to think, I mean, we've kind of talked about the Lansing metal scene. And, and you know, you had kind of talked about how shows at the shelter, you know, there was only like one night it was a hip hop thing and, and there was a thriving scene, you know, kind of all across the state. But something I kind of like to and we kind of touched on it earlier with the lack of Internet and the, and the resources per se once you guys had kind of achieved some success locally, what was what did it look like for you guys to kind of start branching out and what kind of made you want to start to take the next level of becoming, as you were saying earlier, a band that tries to figure out how can we make this our jobs now? What did that look like for all of you guys back then, whether it be in Bringing Down Broadway or in the bands you were in at the time?
3: I think for a while there, like it wasn't even about making it a job. It was more like...
1: Here's an opportunity
3: to go on an adventure. Let's all, let's all be on board and go on an adventure. We would drive. Our first few tours, we had a Ford Acana line <laughs> packed with all with all the gear. We're like we used full stacks and everything. And eight ten. We're like we're not going to use a trailer.
2: I remember showing up to a show and we actually played a show with Circus Survive in Baton Rouge. Yeah, in and that they all came in with these nice like RVs and trailers, and we Buses, and they huge saw, trailers. They saw our. It kind of line with no trailer and they were like wow you guys are you guys are hardcore
3: and like we, we got out there with like a hundred dollars i don't even know how he did all the booking he would he's like yeah we're on a tour with 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 circus of we're gonna go on a tour with like white chapel we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we we just showed up out there and we had like ten dollars to our name got paid <laughs> for the first few times you know sold stuff and we we're like we're gonna be broke, but we'll make it. Then we'll make it back.
2: Yeah, when you were talking about how the internet wasn't really the way it is today, there was one website that I came across, and that's how I booked our shows. It was called Book Your Own Remember that?
1: <laughs> I do, and I remember it not working for us because the adventure we had with it was our the band I was in in Kalamazoo, our booking agent and for those who are just listening i used air quotes uh she used that and sent us to Greenbrier, tennessee to go start a tour and we drove 10 and a half hours our van and trailer took a crap on us the day we were supposed to leave so we had to all pile into all five of us into our Singer Sport uh escape uh i think that's what it, the suv type thing and pack our We rented a U-Haul and just said we're all college kids and we're moving back up to the UP, and we needed it for a week, <laughs> so we weren't yeah, taking it out of state. Uh, I learned
2: how to I learned how to book tours really fast because the first one we ever did was <laughs> it was five shows, and we played all the way in Miami.
0: All the way to Miami. So, yeah, uh, what were so those like, drives like? <laughs> it, was, yeah, yeah. it was
2: Ohio. We had a show in Ohio. Okay. Then a show in West Virginia and then straight to my... Three shows in Florida. And then from Florida back home. Straight yeah. home. And, and I was like, okay, now I know how to book these tours. I'm like, what happened? What happened? I'm like five hours, six hours
1: apart. So what happened <laughs> when you got to Tennessee? So the funny part, it uh, you, it's one of those things you just can't make this stuff up. We literally got out. The school, there was an elementary across the school from, or the street from us that said uh, the best, one of the top three elementaries in all of the US, which I found to be a load of crap, because I was like, there's no way this is the top three, one of them. Uh, And I don't even know, GPS couldn't even find where we were. Uh, We get out, and there's this kid who goes, Y'all, Normosaurus, y'all must be that band from Michigan. Y'all like ICP? I love ICP. And I was like, (laughs) and like, we had driven, like I said, 10 and a half hours. And I was like, I've been in this car way too long. And I I don't want to handle that right now. I was like, where is like an alcohol store? (laughs) Cause like, if I'm going to be here, cause I could just kind of tell the kind of vibe of that night. And I wasn't disappointed. Uh, That dude and two of his friends decided, I think that show was on a Friday, had decided Wednesday they wanted to be a rap group. And since they worked there, they got to open for us. And their uh, recordings that they had on a computer, instead of having individual tracks, somehow they just all played at once. And no one knew how to turn it off or fix it, so they just had it all playing and just would go. And the one dude who had or greeted us as soon as we got out of the car had stage fright for all eight of us that were there and just kept his back to us the whole time. And then uh, the $100 we were supposed to make... Uh, wasn't in existence, and uh, I remember the the other the rap group gave me some spray painted merch that they made, and then the promoter tried telling me that they gave me their merch and I didn't pay for it, so therefore they're not going to pay us. And I was like, I don't think that you can constitute spray painted on merch which had the n word on it from a bunch of white people as merch, and I'm definitely not paying for it. <laughs> and I was like, but uh, what was, what was that? that
2: venue? In, what was that venue in Tennessee? Do you remember the name of it? Because I remember playing in Greenbrier, Tennessee. It was a
1: coffee Uh, shop. Uh, Yeah. And the the funny thing was, is about a month or two later, because I told the person, I was like, you may not know who I know, but guarantee there's going to be a band you get and I'm going to tell them never to go there and you're going to lose the show. And I think it was about a year later, I ended up uh, seeing this band at a friend's house called uh, Erepress. And then the drummer of that band ended up uh, starting another band with some dudes and they're called Bad Rabbits and they're kind of like a a funk kind of soul indie kind of rock band they're really good and i saw that they were playing that coffee shop and i messaged them i'm like yo i played there like a year ago the dude's shady like you can have emails you can have all the proof you want and he if he doesn't want to pay you he would straight up won't pay you and they're like cool we'll cancel that and then like the dude reached out to me and he was like i don't know who you are you cost me a show blah blah blah." and i was like remember two year or a year ago and screwed us out of the money and like wouldn't even give us a place to stay that you said you had a place for us to stay like I told you it would come back and haunt you and I I would tell somebody eventually not to book there or book you there and I was like it just happened to take this long
2: (laughs) I I remember that place it was a coffee shop upstairs and downstairs in the basement and there was like a little half pipe ramp right
1: yeah I think they had kind of the the skate area was not allowed to be used when we were there (laughs) Right. So I'm sure it right. got shut actually, down. I actually
2: remember that place. It's called like Mugs Coffee or something, something like, like that.
1: that. Yeah, the mug or mugs or something like and, that. Yeah. And and
2: that was the first show of one of our tours, not BDB, but another band that I played in. And surprisingly, there were lots of kids there. Weird. And the promoter gave a like. We asked for a door split, and he definitely did not. He was very shitty.
0: <laughs> well,
2: it's like good he to. Gave us, He gave us like 50 bucks and we, I know that we made way more than that.
1: Yeah. We, I know for sure we didn't make what We should have made, but we had a contract that he signed and all that kind of stuff. But that's also when I found out that our booking person used that website you were talking about. And there were shows that we weren't even scheduled to play. Like I'd call the promoters and such. And which, like I said, with the internet, not being really a thing, I was the only one who had a a smartphone, had a Blackberry and data cost me a boatload on that tour. And I just started calling people. It was like, hey, we're supposed to play tomorrow in West Virginia. And they're like, nope. And then the person that (laughs) I had the information for was actually someone in one of the bands that had played the week before. It wasn't even from the area. And then so I started putting two and two together that I was like, I think this tour is a sham. And they just sent us out like on a wild goose chase. And then I had to kind of like conveniently a friend of mine had just joined a dies today and we were close enough to like going to new york anyway like that was part of our routing so i was like hey is there anywhere in buffalo we can play like on our way back to a guaranteed show like in ohio like it's a long drive but it's better than completely abandoning this this tour if you can call it that
2: <laughs> yeah i use that website quite a lot for our stuff until myspace came out and then i started then it kind of became easier to book shows
1: Myspace was a game changer. Unfortunately, I feel like the bit ba- like some bands utilized it really well and some just didn't understand what it could be used for and just figured if you had a sweet top eight, then that's all that mattered. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's funny that you talked about smartphones and GPS because when we started, we used to go to Kroger and get something called a Triptych. Have you ever heard of that? Yep. Yeah, you'd just print out, for those of you who don't know what it is, you'd print out your directions, like MapQuest, but it was on a narrow, like, four inches wide by, like, ten inches long thing that would take you everywhere you went. We'd just follow these triptychs everywhere we went. No cell phones, nothing like that. We'd show up to the place and knock on the door and be like, hi, is this where the concert is? (laughs) Yeah, go load it back. They're like, all right. Or like, dang, let's go, go, Pete, take us to a a payphone. We'd go find a payphone and, like, call
1: a quarter.
4: Like, who's got quarters? Do you
1: remember... Do you remember how bummed you were when MapQuest didn't have a road that was being changed or worked on? You're like, I have no idea how to get where I'm going now. Yeah, <laughs> we sound really old when when you say things like this, but sometimes I, I mean just kids say like,
3: if we had iPhones back when we were playing, like we'd be we'd have made it so much bigger. I think.
1: Do you really I think that's so much more efficient? I
2: remember for Christmas, you got I think you got a GPS or something like that. Right. like it. yes. And it. Work saved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we have a GPS. We don't need MapQuest anymore. Yeah, that was in like the seventh year of touring. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it's interesting to to think back to a time where bands it really took a lot more to be a band and want to to take your love or take your craft to another level and, and kind of go out beyond just the safety of being a local band. It, it took a hell of a lot more to, to really make it cuz I and I think it's a thing that a lot of people don't understand is, you know, cramping or you know, putting all your gear into a 15 passenger van and sleeping on top of it and you know, hoping and praying that your vehicle doesn't die cuz you don't have a phone and you have no quarters in case there's no payphone. Like just in the camaraderie and and how bands became so tight also to the other end of that, how bands ended up fighting a lot because you didn't have, you know, laptops to watch DVDs and be in your own little corner.
2: Yeah, I remember, you know, it was rough at first, but it was rewarding like the second time we came back to a city where there'd be like 50 more kids or something like that. And eventually, you know, we played in front of a lot more people a lot of places that we'd go, you know, so it was really rewarding. It was an adventure at first. And then, I mean, it was always an adventure, but
1: do you find, cause I mean, looking back, like you guys have recently come back and now the, the landscape of what a band is and how they present themselves with social media, with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchats and all of those things. Do you find that, maybe it was a little more rewarding and a little bit harder for people to understand what you were doing back then, because that you didn't have so much documented proof of what it was like to be out on the road. I
2: think so. Yeah.
1: I guess that was Diesel a pretty self-explanatory question.
4: <laughs> you really had to earn it like in a different way. Like I remember yeah. getting started and this is going to, this is really gonna Like date me. Right. So watching, um, watching like behind the music on VH one about like, uh, Metallica and Red Hot Chili Peppers and these bands that like made it big by touring the the like L.A. and West Coast club scene, like just group four shows a week for years and building up this fan base, and then that fan base is what got them to the record labels, and like that was the way that you had to do it. So we we all thought like you have to tour and you have to play just you know a, a crap ton of shows. Or you cannot make it, and now you just need a viral video. Now, yeah. now you need a viral video, or you know the the technology for uh, for recording is so much more accessible now. Um, and maybe I maybe I'm a little spoiled in that regard with Chris having his own recording studio that uh, you know is. Uh, we're accomplishing things now in a couple of hours that would have taken us weeks. you know 15 years ago um so the accessibility of it and the ability to just take your music um and and put it out there so far reaching is now now you could get huge you could make your entire career without even playing a show at all you don't have to
1: it's funny and i've said this on the on this podcast quite a bit and i'm hoping i actually get to uh, I'm hoping I can cover rock on the range for a metal thing that I'm a part of here, like contributing for. And so I can talk to these dudes in the band uh, and ask them this personally, but I always look at a band like I prevail a band that just seemingly came out of nowhere. They did exactly what you're saying where they came out with a hot cover of Taylor Swift at the time, (laughs) but unlike every other local band I've ever seen use that formula to try to get eyes on them they seem to be the only band that then had a an idea of what to do once they had the attention, which was, hey, we have this new CD we just put out. Hey, we're going on the road. So it's like while they already have everyone's attention, as fickle as the attention span may be of their new fans, they seemingly took the ball and ran with it, whereas so many people, once they get it, go, I don't know what to do with this. And then I see so many better bands than these people who slag who not like I'm sorry, who put in the work, who have spent a lot of time honing their craft and are putting out better material and just don't get the fair shake as everybody else. And I don't know if it's just because like instead of trying to find or cheat success the easy way that, you know, you have people like yourselves who have spent, you know, who drove to Miami after only playing one other show <laughs> and so forth. You know, but I mean, I think, like I said earlier, I think that's what made the bands of of your guys' time frame and the bands that we all admire and respect from the scenes that we, the Christian metal scene and just the, the bands as a whole, they put in the work. They didn't cheat success when they finally got it. It could have been five, ten years down the line and it just seemed like, you know, hey, that overnight band, that was a ten year overnight success story. You know, you just didn't see the hard work that went into it. And kind of piggybacking off of that, with you guys, it seemed like, from what I remember, you guys, toward the end of your run, you guys were able to play, like, you know, get good slots on Cornerstone, and were playing decent, smaller tours with up-and-coming bands. What, uh, what was... I'm looking like I can see around the corner of my own screen. (laughs) What, uh... Was this the attainable success that it looked like you guys were on pace for? Actually, what it seemed to be, or was it just kind of perception being a little different from the outside, from my perspective? Uh,
3: well, I mean, it was it's it's both, you know. Like I always say that like in life, it's a double edged sword because everything is good and bad. We started to get success. We started to do a lot more tours. We our last few tours, we like Tour of the Mirror, uh, like Misery Signals when they were still playing, White Chapel. Uh, Elysium, See You Next Tuesday, and other bands like that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We'd go play these shows, and we'd do some nights that were just, like, packed on the tour, and everyone had a blast, and some nights where we're, like, even with, like, Whitechapel, we'd show up to, like, a bar with, like, ten people, and it was just kind of, like, a disappointment, you know, kind of a disappointment. And I think for us, the thing is, um, we, we sent out a bunch of uh, promo packs to a bunch of record labels, wanted to get signed. Our dream was, like, solid state. Like, we just want to be on solid state. That's who we want to be. Zao came from there. Norma Jean was there. August Burns Red's there. All these bands that we admire are on South State, we want to get there. We got a friend who worked for them at the time, which later in life Pete ended up getting in on Tooth and Nail with his other band, Rocky Loves Emily. But at this time, we wanted to be on South State, so we sent out a press kit and we heard back from Face Down Records, and they said, "Oh, we have an offer if you'll take it now." And we said, "Well, we want to wait because we're waiting. we were holding up for South State Records," <laughs> and um, which our friend who worked for them said that you know uh, they they had talked about it and stuff like that. And then while we were waiting, Face Down just said, oh, well, we'll just, we're going to sign four today. They're right behind you. So they took four today. And then when four today started to blow up, the Solid State thing didn't work out because uh, they ended up signing a friend's band of ours called Once Nothing Mm -hmm. from Pennsylvania. We did all of our tours with Once Nothing all the time, played tons of shows with them, great friends with them, and they ended up picking them. Uh, That kind of like took the wind out of our sails. Uh, We were a little older at the time. I was married. Half of us were married. And... uh, I had a kid on the way, and uh, I always wanted to join the Marine Corps. And my wife had told me, like, "Hey, if you, this is something you want to do, because the you know the band is kind of waning, maybe you should do that." So that was that was kind of what it was for us. Like we were getting big, and if we would have continued, we, I have no doubt that we wouldn't have con- you know, we would have continued to get big. Like for today and the other bands who kept going at that time period, uh, like Gwen Stacy and others. You know, we played with the Devil Wrist Proud all the time. Kind of came up with them. And they they all continued. They got big. I just kind of believe you do something long enough, you'll get big at it. But we kind you know, because of me, essentially, we called it quits.
2: I remember um, we were. I'm still a really good friend of um, his name's Micah Dean. He was uh, the A and R guy over that. Uh, so, state. state, yeah. I ended up asking him later when my band got signed. I was like, "So, do you remember having discussions about bringing down Broadway?" He was like, "Yes, we actually." were deciding between you and One Snuffing for like three months. Like they kept talking about it, like which one should we go with? And so I mean it felt good that we were at least talked about, you know, quite a bit in their offices, but, you know, they ended up picking something else and then I don't know, that kinda of bummed us out a little bit. Um we played a few more shows and then I think that's around the time where Chris decided to go to the Marines because you know that i mean that's something like that can you know bring down your spirits a little
1: bit it's interesting yeah. too trying to think if my time frame is correct on this but around around that time i feel like that's when stilly would have been picked up by roadrunner haste Day would have been solid state probably at least for a couple of years see you next tuesday would have been probably getting ready to get picked up by ferret uh there's an, oh Maddie Montgomery came from Besieged, which is a local band. So I mean, it's like you have so many people here in the in a very small. Like I said earlier, like the small local scene, sort of in the small national scene, kind of all kind of exploding around. It's I always kind of often wonder like when stuff like that happens, like if you're just kind of like, damn, I should have like if I had just like waited a little bit longer and maybe like held out, like if it would have panned out in our favor, or you know, the classic what if game.
2: Yeah, we talked about the what if game. Quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> we always say, "What if we would have just signed with Face Down when they offered?" You know, what would have happened? Um, but you know, like
0: that's what I mean. Like
2: it, it kind of crushed our spirits when we saw other bands around us after we passed up our opportunity getting signed by other labels, and we thought, "Well, that's the only way you could make it."
0: So.
1: So, you guys ended up kind of calling it a day. Were you get any of you actively playing still, or even just kind of on a smaller scale? Or what was so, the time like in between that?
3: When I left, um, the band was supposed to have continued, but uh, I do most—you know—I I do most of the songwriting, and I was kind of like the glue that held it together. So when I left, everyone just kind of went their own ways and pete right away joined uh, rocky loves emily so he already was on a new path um
4: which destroyed the band that i was in called kodiak era because pete <laughs> pete, pete took our singer guitar player and joined rocky loves emily and then i did lights for a while yeah so that's how that worked out so, said, lights yeah. lights yep
0: um,
3: <laughs> but uh so when that happened i think i tell everyone like i think i had kind of like a uh like, unconscious depression, because I stopped playing all music for almost five years. During the Marine Corps, that was, like, my full focus. I packed up all my gear and just put it in the back of my garage and just left it there for years. And um, he kept playing. He would play at church, and uh, Pete played in Rocky Loves Emily, our singer, Brian Grecke. He moved to Texas with our bass player, Seth, who he built. Seth built a studio down there and kind of did some playing, but um, he doesn't have a lot of drive, so if it's not... That's an easy way to put it. He doesn't have a lot of drive, so he didn't get a lot of stuff done down there. And then Brian was just down there trying to find new career paths to see what it was like, see a different part of the world. And it wasn't until 2012, the end of 2012, I was trying out for special forces, and I was listening to uh, this album by the Human Abstract all the time, called The Digital Veil. I yep. love it. One of my one of my favorite albums of all time. And um, and then I realized that they had broken up, and I was like, oh man, that's kind of a bummer. And then after that album was released, it was like eight or ten months later, they released a three-song EP of just like the Moonlight Sonata. And I went and did some research to try to see, like, there's no singing on it. It wasn't released by a label. Like, what was it? And from what I read, or what I understand, it's that they just made it themselves, just for fun, get together for a weekend and record some music and put it out, get some residual income and just see what things were like. And I thought, like, oh, that was awesome. So I called all the guys. I was like, hey, let's try to record in three different states. I'm in North Carolina. Pete and Caleb are in Michigan. And Brian and Seth was in... Texas at the time, and just told them the plan, and we just started kind of writing again from there, and that was, I mean, that's a very slow process, but that's kind of what started us back up again. And then um, I thought I was going to do an entire career in the Marine Corps, but because of several variables that went into it, we decided to get out at my eight-year mark, and when I got out at my seven-year mark, I moved my family back home, and I had one last deployment to do. So while I was gone, I was like, oh, I'd like to build a studio. I'd like to start playing again. I'd like to get all the guys back together, start contacting everyone. And I wrote, I finished, uh, my last deployment was on a vessel. We went to the Arctic Circle, we ripped by Norway for a long time. And I finished a love album that I wrote for my wife, and I wrote the whole new Brain on Broadway album that was out there. I did it on Tabbit. If you don't know what Tabit is, it's a, <laughs> it's a computer program yep. that's MIDI, all MIDI to write stuff. I've, I've wrote everything on Tabbit. I've archived everything on it, and I still use it to this day. It's amazing. And I wrote this whole new BDB album on Tabbit, and I told the guys all about it. I told them I was excited and I wanted to get everyone back together. And we originally were going to have Brian play drums, because he also plays the drums and the guitar and bass. Because Pete, when I told him about it, he's just like, not interested I was like, you want to hear it? He's like, not interested.
2: Well, I have stopped playing metal for so long, and I was playing in a pop band, so I was like, I don't even know if I have the chops to even do that anymore. So, like, no, I don't even want to challenge myself at
3: this point. (laughs) So at this Um, point, I'm like, well, Pete's out. I got Alex. He'll play guitar. And he he said yes right away because he was always like a fan back in the day and good friends of ours and stuff and played in bands after we had broken up. And um, Brian had always been a part, like, he has been there since the beginning with Least of These. He helped like, teach us how to tune guitars in the first place and how to play and all that stuff. Would fill in for drums and bass and guitar all the time throughout all the years that we played. It was just always our like main staff member. And I told him, I was like, Pete's not in. You want to play drums? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. So he was on board. Got Garecki on board when I told him, hey, you know I'm getting this back together. Do you want to sing? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I got home in May of...
2: You had a coming home party. May of
3: 16, yeah. May of 16, I got out of the Marine Corps, and I built my whole studio, and I built it in 49 days right after I got out. Worked on it all day, every day, like 10 hours a day, got it all finished. And I had a studio grand opening in August of 16. And I was like, Pete, come on out. And this is kind of my plan. I set up some drums, some amps, had all the guys here. Everyone, like, knew everything. They're like, hey, Pete, how about you just sit down and play an old song for old time's sake? We've always called Pete All or Nothing Pete because he's always... Always for it or always against it. There's no gray area. It's all or nothing. beat. sits down, starts playing one of our songs, gets halfway through it, stops, and he's just like, "Guys, I am freaking in. I know I said I was out, but I tell you what, it was I am just freaking in.
2: So much fun, like doing that after not doing it for so long. And I was like, Yeah, I want to do this again. It was like riding
4: a bike. You, like didn't even skip a beat, just had it. So, I remember you and I, you know, making this plan up over Skype. Like, Alex, you gotta learn these songs. Like, man. You're not even to get. Pete's not even to play. I don't know if it's an even sound to say. And you're just like, just, just, just learn the songs. And so I learned the songs. And then sure enough, at that at that open house that you had, I'm, I'm sitting through running the songs, and there's Pete just like banging away on the drums, I'm like, oh yeah, he's freaking in. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said that.
3: And then he said, I know you got Brian on drums, and if he really wants it, I'll step down, you know. But
2: like maybe bass or something. And Brian's like, oh, I'll do what's needed. I'll, I'll move to bass. That's fine. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that nickname carried on not just in. Bring it on Broadway but in my other bands and pretty much all my friends have called me. They, <laughs> yeah. Just because it's true, there is no gray area. So in a nutshell, yeah. That's the
3: that's how we re, that was the story of how we reformed. It was a long process. It really started.
2: Four years
1: me. ago.
3: Uh, that was that was kind of playing around but like the new band that started on that deployment I did to Norway. Which was funny because I wrote the whole Brain on Broadway album on a ship off the coast of Norway. So I told the guys, like, guys, I just wrote the new BDBL and now I wrote. They all wrote me back because uh, we just had email. That was it. And they were like, Norwegian metal? And I was like, yes, I guess so. <laughs> I wrote it in Norway. I guess it's Norwegian <laughs> metal. So, yes, yes, it is. And uh, that was really the start of it. It's a bunch of Viking metal, you know, Viking metal songs.
1: <laughs> With power singing. Yes. That sounds like Zayo. <laughs> <laughs> it's – I kind of wish – uh your singer was here, so I could ask him, like, if he how hard it was for him to kind of get back into singing this style. Because I know, like, you know, some people say, like, oh, I stopped playing metal or I stopped playing sort of more technically, depending on who you would ask. Uh, some people say it's still noise, regardless. But um, so I was kind of wondering if he had kind of kept up his vocal chops or how long it took for him to kind of get back into into it, or if he's just one sure. of those people who just naturally can do it. In About five
2: minutes. He actually <laughs> sounds. I, I feel like he sounds better than he has yeah, ever so. sounded. Yeah.
3: He's, so. earned, he's earned himself over the years the name, the legend. Uh-huh. And uh, in 2012, you know, it had been almost five years. I'm like, hey, I got some songs I want you to sing on. He just like kills it on them. I'm like, man. And then we do all the singing in 2012, nothing again until 2017. Right? Yeah. I So I get back, I build the studio. I start uh, doing pre-pro for some of these songs for the following through we're going to do. And he just goes in the vocal booth, he's like, let's just run it. And just like blasted the song, front to back comes in, it just sounds just crushing. And he's like, Ah, I could do better. <laughs> or like it just ran out of the gate, just just killed it. He just he's always just
4: been amazing. There's pictures of him out there at at our at our different weddings, like screaming in, in during the like the dancing part of the wedding at the reception so he he's (laughs) pre-practiced from time to time he he did guest vocals on my band's uh album that we put out and so that's the best parts of the album and it is the best parts of the album they make it they make the drop d uh breakdown so awesome when you have brian garecki screaming on him (laughs) yeah
1: so with you guys announcing that you guys were back i kind of was talking about this sort of in relation to like MySpace was kind of becoming a thing like the booking your own kind of thing. You know, there, there was things that were slowly kind of the internet helping bands be able to kind of do this on their own, very DIY, which was what a lot of bands were doing back then. Now with you coming back, has some of the, the other side of the announcement other than just, Hey, we're back. Has that been a little daunting and kind of a little bit, Cause sometimes I tend to find out when I see bands and and I book shows, and sometimes I'm dealing with one person who kind of deals with all of that. But I might be messaging someone on Facebook, and that's a completely different person, and then I have to get a hold of the guy who does the booking. But the social media guy could be well, this guy does the Facebook, this one does the Instagram. You know, is is that was that kind of a daunting thing? Like where you're like, man, we got to create all this socials, and who's running it, and is it kind of a one for all or? Is it just um, kind of been a well? We'll just kind of attack that one when we kind of need well, Alex,
2: to. Alex, Alex being the youngest, we thought you're <laughs> <taking> your- <laughs> he gets social media. Yeah, he does that.
3: I, I wouldn't say that it's hard or daunting. I mean, being a leader like in the Marine Corps, you have some very stressful situations. So like the right. CDs. Yeah. I'm just like guys. We're going to do the five Ps. We're not going to do the six. We're not going to avoid the six Ps. We're gonna do the five Ps. Proper planning prevents poor performance. We do things slowly, and we do, we delegate things both on skill, ability, and time. So I have the most free time uh, professionally. Brian's a police officer. Pete does IT, and Alex works as a machinist. Uh, Brian Greck is a full-time student. I go to college full-time, but I, I can make my own schedule. I run my recording studio, and I do like independent contracting with the military still, Um but like I have a lot of free and flexible time. So I say I'll do the recording, I'll do gear and research and stuff like that, and I've always been like the main songwriter. So I start it and I can just send it to them and say, Here's the ideas to bounce it off of Alex. You know, you have a set job but you have a set time and you always have a digital device with you. You're the youngest, you're the round of the most. You take social media, you'll you know, and then you'll be in this and you'll be in that. We just kinda of pass right, things out. Right like before
4: that. this I was I was wanting to get out of social i was like i was about to delete all my social media and guys. then really like, I'm, just I'm just done yeah and then all of a sudden chris is like you're a social media guy i'm like dang it so I <laughs> <everything back up. laughs>
3: brian garecki he does the majority of the video stuff he's going to school for like movie making so like that's his that's his niche there and uh when it comes like writing, gear research and stuff like that that's what we do and then pete i just i make the drums and say here's what i want you to do and he just comes and performs so that's that's what we ask of Pete. And that's what he does. He's
1: just an amazing <laughs> performer. I just always wonder, because like I said, I see people who are tech savvy on social media all the time. And it just kind of amazes me like how much of a struggle it is to have people actively involved as a band in anything to do with the band. It seems like, like I said, everyone's like, well, this person does this. So I know you're supposed to be contacting me, but it's going to this person. I'll have that person get a hold of me. And it's like, This is too complicated. (laughs) When it comes to a lot of that, we actually have linked
3: all of our stuff so Alex and I can see all of that stuff, you know, equally. So um,
4: I always feel so stupid too because I'm like, "Hey, do that thing again." Like, why? (laughs) Because I'm going to put it on Instagram. That was awesome, Pete. Do that. Do that drum fill again.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
4: There's a couple of things that helped us with that though too. Um, First of all, we did not just decide we were going to come back and just put out an announcement. Hey, we're coming back. You know, um, there was months and months Jesus, and yeah. months of, of plan- well, no, before and way before those teasers even started coming out, we had months of recording and rehearsing and planning because we said as soon as this stuff launches, we have to have shows ready right on the tail of the announcement and we have to have, you know, music releasable very soon after that. So we were well down that road before we started that. Um, so all that it was that that pre-planning, um, in advance that really, you know, set us up to, to not, um, not go, Oh, we've made the announcement. What are we going to do now? And the other thing really is that now, look, we all have other careers. We all have other full lives and we're not trying to, we're not, we're not trying to make it big off of this to support our families. Right. What the success that we have will be whatever it is. Um, but that doesn't really matter so the 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 lack of pressure to to make this a vocation make bringing down broadway like you know our breadwinner kind of a thing the lack of pressure for that along with you know the all the prep work and 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 thinking uh, in advance that really that that uh chris spearheaded him with this with having, him having the studio um, we're not scraping for resources anymore like we did back in the day. So Yeah, back in the day there were like deadlines and we had to get stuff done at
2: a certain time. Now it's like well, I have to, you know, go see my grandma or something so I can pick it <laughs> this week. And we're just like, All right, that's no problem, we'll just pick it up next week. You know, it's it's very relaxing and easy. It's actually,
4: you know, a lot more fun this yeah, way. This is a lot more fun. Like my kids having a meltdown, I'm not going to make it to practice tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like the uh, the renewed enthusiasm, not only just for what you know uh, Brian was just saying? Do you think it's translating into the new music? Do you think this is some of the best stuff you've been you've written at this point? Uh,
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I
3: think so. Whenever we whenever we wrote in the past, well, for one, when we broke up as a band. And like four today made it. All these other bands made it. I was happy for them, and I under kind of understood why because we barely practiced. We would rather make joke videos, goof around, <laughs> play games. Uh, you know, we just thought like we were good, so that you know and we just left it at that. Now we're older. Now we've played like I practice for long periods of time, like metronomes, and like we know better ways to practice. And also back then, like if our other guitar player, uh, you know, didn't have something down, I'll just be like oh well, I'll just whatever. Now I'm just like, hey, let's do it till we get it right. This is how it should be. And there's no pride there. We're not like mad. We're like, he told me to do what? It's just <laughs> none, of, it's none of that. It's just like, yeah, man, let's just make it the best we can be. Let's just take our time. Let's practice as responsible adults. And I always, um, I, I mean, I did a little bit back then, but now I like, I listen a lot to uh, John Petrucci and the way he practices and plays and writes. And he says, I always write 10 to 15% above my level. So I try to do that with all of us. Try to write above our level so we can get to it. I write my stuff like ten percent above it and I like bring it down like five percent above it and I can get to that. I write Pete's like ten percent above what I think's ten percent above it and he'll just come and nail it. I'm like, well, alright thanks for performing. He just he's there. <laughs> uh, you make the rest of us look good, make it look so easy. But just that I mean, I I I think it's better stuff because also too, um we used to do everything as a vote back in the day. And I was pretty I was against a lot of things. It was always it was either me and the bass player or against him the singer and the other guitar player, or it was me and the bass player against the other three. I always wanted to be, like, much heavier. I wanted to have, like, no singing, and I wanted to do other things. And they were like, no, we got to do singing and this and that. So we'd take a vote on it, and then that's the way that's the way it would be. Now I just kind of write whatever I want. It's just whatever I want it to be, I'll just write it all, And they just say, at the most part, they're like, yeah, it's good. Let's just do minor changes to it and this and that. And I tell them, like, I want to be harder, and if we're going to do singing, it's going to be subtle, and it's going to be, you know, in we're not trying to be anyone else. We just do. We're just trying to be us and just do whatever we want. So that kind of makes writing a lot easier and a lot funner because we're not trying to fit any mold anymore.
2: Right. If that makes sense. And <laughs> Chris being the primary writer takes the pressure off of well, you know a lot of us, so that <laughs> we could just focus on
1: making the parts of you us know, the they can be. Yeah, I
3: just send them tabit files and like, here it is. Here's the tabit <laughs> boys. Get practicing.
1: So you guys had mentioned uh, when rolling out with everything, you wanted to have a show shortly behind it, which leads us to your show on December 29th at the local 432. There's a couple of shows I have in my head right now, stuff I want to go see, and and that one, and a few others, so I have a bunch of dates in my head right now. (laughs) Um, You guys have uh, Sleepless Malice, and I believe two others that I'm blanking on?
3: Yeah, so one of them is called Deadhead. I've never heard of them until this show, and the other one is called um, Unsheltered. Unsheltered, and I mean, I guess they're doing something similar to us. I went and looked at their Facebook, and on like October thirtieth, I think they made their announcement. They got back together after twenty one year hiatus. Okay, so
2: so they're, Just, doing something this is similar to us. The first time I am hearing about that. Too.
3: So and um, <laughs> I guess they're, they're like eighties metal or something like that. Which which would be fine. We had a uh, we had four bands that we wanted to play with us, and we had told the Flint local that, but they, I mean. Like my wife says, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. We're just happy to be on the show. We're happy we got our friends from Sleepless Malice to play with us and then two other bands. Maybe we'll become great friends with these guys and get to see something new and something a little bit different. Because one of them is a little bit softer, one of them was kind of 80s metal, and then Sleepless Malice and us were pretty similar in the, you know, the metalcore genre.
1: What are you looking forward to most about the show?
3: Well, one of the things is that um, we used to play like in our garage or basements in Lapeer, but the first real shows we ever did, was at the Flint Local 432 at the Carlton Building. Played there for years. They moved to the Metropolis, played the Flint Local Metropolis. They moved to the Masonic Temple, played at the Masonic Temple. And then we broke up, and then now they've moved to a new location. They got, like, the best PA they've ever had, a great stage, a good building. And I just feel that it's only appropriate that, you know, our comeback show is at the place that, like, gave us our initial start. So I'm really excited about that. I don't know any of the staff or anything. I'm looking forward to meeting them and, you know, just talking, making new friends and just... Just playing again,
2: you know. Yeah, and this first show is probably going to be one of those shows where you know we're practicing a lot to make it as good as possible. But this will definitely get the kinks out for future shows for sure.
1: Who's uh, who's busting out the skinny jeans and like the youth large uh, t-shirts? Uh.
3: <laughs> I <don't know> anymore. <laughs> so I still wear tight fitting pants. I don't buy skinny jeans because I like them to be like boot cut. So what I do is I buy bigger pants and I tailor all my own clothes. Uh-huh. skinny in the thigh area, but the bigger on by them. I've, I've been so, wearing sweatpants for like the last five years.
0: So that's, that's,
3: <laughs> and I've always said and told Pete that sweatpants are the international garment of giving up. So it's not allowed anymore. I, I, like
4: to, I like to wear shorts when I play so.
1: I'm waiting now for that's, the... Uh... That's another
4: great thing about it is we just don't give a crap anymore. We just are who we are. We're just going to go out there and have fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. It's funny to look back on, on some of those those trends and like the guy liner and all that kind of stuff, and just be like, "Wow!" Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't do that. I don't think we ever wore any kind of guy liner. No, we 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 all we were in the we trend were, where everyone had jet black hair.
3: Yep. Everyone wore small t shirts and everyone wore the skinny girls jeans. That, we wore girls jeans. There were no skinny well, jeans. Well, at well, the I was going to say
1: as, to as it the, was as, yeah, I was going to say as it was explained to me at the time because I mean, as being a very small kid. I didn't understand how cheap like women's jeans were at the time. Mm-hmm. And then someone was like, well, actually you could probably, cause at the time I was a zero and oh. someone's like, you could probably actually like fit into like little kids' jeans. And I tried Funny. to do that. And then I was like, this feels too weird as I was like holding a pair up and there's like some mom and her little kid going back to school shopping. And I'm like, this isn't a good look for me. I need to just like, I'll, I guess I'll stick to the girl's jeans. That's less embarrassing.
3: I used to buy from Walmart kids' athletic shorts because I always liked short shorts. You know? Yeah, yep. And I guess like the mid-2000s is like when basketball, they all started wearing their huge jerseys and the huge shorts. I hated that. But in the <laughs> kids' section, they still had the short shorts. So I'd just I'd buy all my shorts from there.
1: <laughs> it's a rather awkward thing as a grown, sort of grown person just walking in. and like, like I said, there's like a 10-year-old kid and you're like, oh, buying the same pair of jeans.
4: Yeah. I remember going to a store <laughs> – I remember going into like a Dunham's and they're like, "You do know that these are girl shorts, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, but the guy shorts are way too long, so I'm gonna buy these." Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I remember fake. another. He just looked at me really weird. Uh, Same a fad back then too. We all would buy the eleven dollar. They were just eleven dollar flat Walmart Velcro shoes. Yeah, I yeah. uh, bought those.
1: <laughs> see, I remember a couple of things when we did because that tour, are the ones like the one legit sorted to where we ended up doing. I ended up hitting up. Uh, T.J. Miller from Stilly, and I was like, so what's some, like, stupid things that I'm probably not going to think of until I'm out on the road and be like, oh, I wish I would have brought or done, Uh and I was like, so you two are all the time, like, what's something I need to learn? It was like, spend the extra 20 cents, get the Chef Boyardee with the pop-off top, so that way, because you're never going to remember having a can opener, (laughs) and uh, I remember everyone was giving me crap, because they were like, oh, look at you spending all this money on these pop-tops. And uh, they forgot the the uh, can opener, just like he said they would. And uh, uh, everyone, I was like, oh, look at that 20 cents now as I'm pulling open my Shepo R.D. And then he also told me to uh, put it on the hood of the car so it could heat it up. Or on the transmission I mean, or whatever. That and then, that was, it, it. And then uh, the you other big that, one too. was uh, Febreze and baby wipes. And then uh, <laughs> the last, the last so one that our- came in handy was the uh, going to... Uh, state parks because for I think twen- 10 or 12 bucks or something like that for everybody you could park overnight and had showers and all that kind of stuff so I seemed like I was we really knowledgeable
3: at- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean, we uh, we would park at Walmart every single night what we would do is we would play the show as soon as the show was done we're like who wants to go to a restaurant and share some stories a bunch of fans would be like let's go we'd all go like 30 of us 40 of us 50 how many people want to go mob a Denny's or someplace like that, which I always hated Denny's and they always were rude. (laughs) We always like the mom and pop places. Anywhere in the country I've been to a Denny's, they're always rude. Yeah. But uh, we'd go there, like 30 of us, hang out all night, you know, hang out for hours. And then Pete, great, best deal ever. He goes, I will drive every tour every day if you guys carry my drums in. I don't want to carry them in. We're like, yes. So like, all right, tomorrow's drive 17 hours. He's like, cool, carry my drums in. (laughs) <laughs> and he would drive it we'd all be in the back sleeping every show it was awesome he would drive all through the night we'd get to the town we would go drive to the venue and take a look so we had eyes on go to the closest Walmart sleep in the parking lot he would sleep till like noon or one or two or whatever we'd all walk around we'd shower in the sinks at Walmart and all the super Walmarts back in the day which they kind of have gone away used to have a cafeteria at them
0: mm-hmm. so
3: we would go yeah. and we'd buy like the chicken deal it'd be like three ninety nine, and you get a plate of chicken Mashed potatoes, like, two other sides, and a cup of water. We'd do that, like, every day, like, every meal. We'd sit in there, and that'd be our lunch. And they would go play the show, and they would ask the fans if they wanted to go share some stories, go to a Denny's, and then
2: we'd drive. Same thing again. Or we'd go to a Pizzoli's. There's like, an all-you-can-eat
1: pasta. <laughs> so I didn't gross. Like I never, w- I never <laughs> went. I didn't like it. It was disgusting. I mean, Italian food should not be fast food. Exactly.
3: <laughs> right. But the Walmart chicken dinners and the Walmart parking lot, that I mean, that's what we did at every tour. That was like the majority. If we did something other than that, it was like an oddity. If we went stay at somebody's house, that was rare. Played a couple of tours, would show up at people's houses. The kids would walk up to the house. The dad would just open the door, and be like, no welcome." We'd be like, "Yep, back to the van." <laughs> there was one
2: show <laughs>
3: that really happened. In there was Chicago. a
2: kid that said, "You guys could crash at my house." When we showed up at the house, <laughs> and the dad opens the door and he goes, "Uh, uh, No, What was? It? What were his words? not welcome oh not welcome it was somewhere in texas (laughs) no no, 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 that was in chicago oh chicago (laughs) not welcome (laughs) slams the door
3: we're like well back to the van so i was like guys to avoid awkward situations let's just sleep in the van at a walmart and pete said we'll only do that if we buy a trailer we said yes we will finally buy a trailer We'd, we just loved carrying everything in the van for years. And then we finally got the trailer, put a mattress in the back, had four open seats, and then the two captain's chairs. It was great. Everyone had their own bench. He slept in the mattress in the back, and we just stayed at Walmart every night.
2: Yeah, it was <laughs> nice. A <great> day out. <laughs> it was nice. We kept the, our van really clean. Too.
3: Oh, we all would use dry
1: shampoo. That, that was, was so yeah, amazing. that was a big thing back then, would not it? Because it had just come out.
3: My wife still uses it all the time today. She's like, it's easier than getting all wet having him. <laughs> Uh, dry it all <laughs> off and it went out the door
1: so the last two questions uh, <laughs> in your tra- in your time touring do you prefer sheets or Wawa? I love
4: sheets uh what a what a burger
2: I don't know he's talking about the east coast Wawas. yeah no, like or- I like I have three of them
1: <laughs> I would say
4: sheets. I like
3: sheets better. The fries sheets are okay. was didn't awesome. Like either of them. Anywhere we went, if it was the West Coast, it was it was Waterburger. And if it was the East, or if it was the East Coast, it's Waterburger. No, if it was the West South, Coast, it was
2: In-N-Out. I think, I think Whataburger is South, right? I think is like, so. I it's thought... like it's like it's Florida to like Texas that area. Yeah, and right. then In-N-Out burgers all in the West Coast. So yeah, well, I prefer I loved, those. two. I loved In-N-Out, but sheets. This is gas like, station stuff, though. I'm like, I'm it? out, guys. I'll wait. Oh, that was, a, I think that was a game-changer because
4: those hot dogs are so cheap. And... <laughs>
1: With the boom-boom sauce?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I never
4: played outside of the, of the state of Michigan, so this is all.
1: Ah, see, so I'm from Delaware originally, and uh, I claim my loyalties to uh, Wawa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Any kind of royalties for that
1: tattoo? So, uh, no. At one point, when I got it done, uh, I submitted it to Wawa's PR people, and they said they were going to give me some free like clothes, and then I never heard back the from them. Nope. But a buddy of mine got me a free ho- or a hoodie, and I've gotten when uh, friends go on tour, they bring me back glasses, so mm-hmm. I always make sure to tag them and all that kind of stuff. And I've gotten like a that they'll like it, but I kind of need to, I think, be more aggressive and be like, "Yo." I even have the registered trademark, so I think at this point I own you guys, so you should start sending me stuff, because I think that's how that works. <laughs> uh, last question. I always end these episodes with a with a song, so what would you like me to play the episode out to? Uh,
3: I didn't think about it. I have no idea. Like, <laughs> like any song? Uh, uh, Zao's Zay- was- five-year winner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's,
2: yeah, do that one.
1: Yeah, Yeah, do that. It was, what was it? Zay, it was what, what? what? 5
2: winner.
3: What? What song do you want him to play out? Do you want him to play one of our songs? I don't know. I
1: didn't think about
4: it. I think we should play one of our songs.
1: Uh, which oh. one? <laughs> so this is why I like doing it, because it just puts everyone on the spot.
4: I'll
3: send him a farewell address.
1: Yeah, send him farewell address. Right. Okay. And then uh, tell me a little bit about the song then, since it's one of yours.
3: Okay, so this song is a song that when, oh, So i got—I got to go back and preface it with to Norway. story.
1: We're going back in, to Norway? To, nope. To
3: 2012 <laughs> when we got back together. Okay. And we said we were going to record in three different states. What we decided to do is take our five oldest songs that we liked and re-record them. So uh, we did songs written from 2001 to 2003. Five songs that we had back then. Started to record them. I, did all my, I programmed all the drums and I did all the guitars, got it all knocked out. Garecki sang on it, Seth played the bass on it, got it all knocked out. Seth started to mix it. He used Cubase, a bunch of plugins that were that I didn't use or that were new to him. He, I mean, he, he did a good job recording it, but he didn't know how to organize it. So, like, the files literally have, like, 200 vocal takes and just stuff all over. Needless to say, I just was in Texas last week with him to just organize these tracks from 2012 to where I can now finish mixing and mastering them. To get them out now. Five years later, so <laughs> this is a song that was recorded five years ago. That was written sixteen years ago. That I'll send you. That's almost done, okay. so it's not quite done, but it's about it's about there.
1: Awesome. <laughs> and then uh, socials. You guys want to plug uh, all the socials for the band, or your own, or the How studio, or
4: yeah? So we're on we're on the big three. You know, we're on the Facebook. You can find us uh, bringing down Broadway on Facebook. You can find us at BDB Band on Instagram and Twitter.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time tonight to uh, what uh, studio and socials. Yeah,
4: yeah. What's, what's the, <laughs> the
1: one what's you're sitting studio? in?
4: The one you're in. I, <laughs> so, I, I, don't, I don't know those ones. Uh, Facebook, I only handle
3: the bands once. Well, okay, I got a website northtowerstudio.com. Yeah, Facebook is just Facebook for you know, for such North Tower Studio. Yeah, and then Instagram's just North Tower Studio.
4: Yep, that's yeah, that's the studio we do all of our stuff out of. and we film a lot of our shenanigans
1: in it. So. <laughs> awesome! Thank you guys very much for taking the time to do this. And this is thank oh, you for awesome. having us.
0: Uh, Thanks, man. I
3: feel uh, yeah. very honored to get to go on your podcast and share some stories and catch up and talk about the old scene. Like-
1: yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. I uh, had fun going back, and I you know the Greenbrier, Tennessee story. I've told it I think twice now, and you, most people are like, "Where is that?" So it's great that I I mentioned it, thinking it was appropriate, and then you're like, "We played there," <laughs> 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 so that's awesome. Uh, thank you very much, okay. and uh, we will hopefully see you guys on Feb- or February. Again, I have a lot of dates in my head. Uh, on uh, December twenty ninth at the Flint Local four thirty two, or is that how you guys say it? Yes. Okay, we'll look forward to yeah. seeing that no and worries. some uh, new music coming out from you guys. So that was my chat with the Bringing Down Broadway guys. Had a lot of fun talking and reminiscing about the old Christian hardcore scene and kind of the marriage of the two and Metalcore as a whole and reminiscing about the beginnings of asley dying and Zao and you know, a lot of those bands that have gone on to have monumental careers and just been icons in the in the genre. It's also a lot of fun to kinda of just be able to listen to some fun tour stories from a band that has been around for a while and still is doing it for all the right reasons of just having a good time. And speaking of having a good time, you can catch them on December 29th at the Flint Local 432. It was interesting to hear how they basically have played every incarnation of that venue. So to kind of restart their band uh, at the new location, it's really fitting. Uh, It's should be a really fun night. Everyone should be back home for the holidays, so why not go and reminisce and, and go see an older show with a—or go see a show with some older friends and support a, a band and scene that maybe you haven't been an active part of for maybe a better part of 10 years in some of our cases. I also couldn't think of a better episode to kickstart the Moshpit Nation era of the podcast uh, with Bringing Down Broadway being a, a Michigan band— And I think just, you know, this encompasses everything that Moshpit Nation is all about from putting a spotlight on a band you may not know of, doing a feature, doing an interview, showcasing some music. Uh, That is what Moshpit Nation is all about. Anytime we can support local rock and metal, we try to. So I'm really looking forward to doing some more of these, maybe with some uh, local bands, some older bands, newer bands. I'm still going to do my thing of getting uh, different guests from all eras of music, current, whatever. Have an episode coming up with Rob Riviera of Nonpoint. Uh, I think that's going to be happening in the next uh, week or two. Plus, still going back and redoing my Diamond Dyes discography run-through with Fallon Bowman. Uh, doing an, an interview with a friend of mine about his upcoming documentary that he's releasing and just finished. So, a lot on the board. And I think for anybody from the MoshBit Nation page, if this is the first episode of this you're listening to, thank you. Big help. Go rate, review, subscribe, however you found this. If it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, however you're listening to this, uh, go back, hit subscribe, leave me a comment, rate and review it. That greatly helps. uh, And hopefully we can get some bigger guests uh, that you would be interested in and speaking of the guest bringing down Broadway can be found on Facebook at bringing down Broadway. What do you know? Instagram and Twitter are simply BDB band. Simple enough. Uh, Bit Nation, You can find us at MoshPitNation.com. If you would like to find us and like us on Facebook, you can do such at Facebook.com, MoshPitNationWestMI. If you would like to follow the podcast socials, you can do such at Johnson Title Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. That's right, I actually have a YouTube channel, so some of these you can actually see me talking to somebody, <laughs> or if you just prefer the audio, that's fine. It doesn't really matter as long as you're supporting the show. Uh, you can also tweet at me at John's Pod, and you can email me at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit me up and let me know if there's somebody you would like me to get. Maybe you have a contact for that person. Uh, speaking of which, Michelle Patterson is from an Every Time I Die Facebook group that I'm in, and she actually recommended me doing this podcast with Bringing Down Broadway, Got me in contact with those guys, and, and here we are a couple of weeks later having done it. It can be that easily done. If you if you know a band and you would like me to talk to them, and it works out for all involved, I'd uh, love to figure that out. So email me or tweet me or send me a Facebook message, doesn't matter. Just go ahead and get a hold of me and we'll try to do something. Or if you just want to tell me I suck, that's fine too. As we always end the episodes here... On the podcast, we end it with a song, and as you heard, Chris end up mentioning that they wanted me to use Farewell Address, and as you heard, Chris was saying that the song had started from a recording a couple of years ago, and now has been kind of finished, and is, you know, (laughs) I always tend to find that anyone who does recording until it is literally sent out to master, it's always like version you know 1.5 or this is version 2.7 or something like that it's it's never officially done until it's being pressed and then it's still not necessarily done they might make <laughs> tweaks to the song so without further ado this is a farewell address from the band bringing down broadway talk to you next week